0: Right now, get up to 50% off at Bluenile.com. That's Bluenile.com.
1: Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans.
0: My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, I talk to various people about the five things from their life that they would like to preserve in a time capsule. They tell me about four things that they cherish and would love to keep safe, but they also tell me about one thing from their life that they rather regret, something they wish they could banish from their memory, something they want to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. My guest in this episode, I'm excited to tell you, is the actor and director Richard Wilson, who became the nation's favourite grumpy old man when he starred in the comedy One Foot in the Grave as Victor Meldrew. But of course, that's just one small part of Richard's life and career. He didn't become an actor until he was 27, and since then has been in films such as A Passage to India, Whoops Apocalypse, Prick Up Your Ears, How to Get Ahead in Advertising, Carry On Columbus, The Man Who Knew Too Little, and as a voice in Nomeo and Juliet and Sherlock Gnomes. And on TV, he was the QC, Jeremy Parsons, in Crown Court for six years. Anybody remember that? He was in A Sharp Intake of Breath, The Sweeney, Some Mothers Do Have 'em anyone remember that? The sitcom Only When I Laugh, for three years. No, he didn't laugh for three years, it was on for three years. He was in Emmerdale, Tutti Fruity, Hot Metal, Mr Bean, Inspector Morse, Father Ted, The Mrs Merton Show, Doctor Who, Merlin, all 65 episodes, and the panel games Have I Got News for You and Would I Lie to You? He's acted with the Royal Shakespeare Company in the West End at the National Theatre, the Royal Festival Hall, the Traverse in Edinburgh and the Royal Exchange in Manchester as well as the Sheffield Crucible and the Chichester Festival Theatre, amongst others. And he's directed at the Royal Exchange, the Royal Court, the Traverse and several other major theatres. In fact, for many years, Richard was one of the most respected directors in the country. He was awarded an OBE in 1994 and he followed that up with the exercise video Let's Dance in 1996. So, quite a bit more than just saying I don't believe it every now and again. A very full life and career. But let's find out what
1: Richard would choose from it to put in a time capsule. And how long has your son been in the business? Well, Did he... I ever meet him? I don't, think, no, you have, I don't no. think I did. No. Nor your daughter. And um, you pay him? If we make any money. <laughs> Not before. So where's it broadcast? Well, you can subscribe to it. How many have you done now? There are about 130. <laughs> God. So, and, and have you made any money from any?
0: Not much. And it continues to grow. It's a very difficult, thing. incredibly competitive field, podcasting. Because they're more and more starting, aren't they? Well, at the moment, definitely. The people basically during lockdown had nothing else to do. Of course, the aim eventually would be like Death Island, is to not necessarily be just chasing fame. I mean, I put out, I don't know if you've ever met him, I've put out one episode with somebody who's not famous. And it's a fellow called Adam Wide. He was a comedian in the 80s. He's a fantastic man. He's done an amazing amount of work for charity over the years, very quietly without anybody noticing it. He's lived with HIV for 25 years now. And he's one of the most interesting men. Where did you meet him? How did you meet him? We met him at Edinburgh in about 1979. He was performing up there.
1: Because, you know, uh, I was going to Edinburgh for the first time when I had my heart attack. I know. I think Angus and I photobombed your interview with Kirsty Ward. That's right. That's mm. right. I did it in, um, in Sheffield. It's as a, as, as a One Foot in the Grave episode where I was the only person in it. David always wanted to do one with just me. So that made it perfect. So I did it in Sheffield for the theatre uh, and they worked quite well. So we sold out. The only problem was that uh, Clive had rung me up and said, uh, Richard, I can't get any insurance for you because you're over 80. <laughs> and I said, no, don't worry, I'll handle it. He said, well, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll share it with you. So of <laughs> course, then it happened, and uh, we lost money. Mm. I don't remember anything about it. And uh, I was up in the hill, up in Hampstead. I used to live in Hampstead. Mm. I stopped living in Hampstead because there was too many stairs. Um, So because I fell off this little balcony, I was waiting for a writer. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, One of the things that happened when I fell off the the thing, I I hit my head. And that's what did the damage. So my memory is not very good. And I forget people and things like that. Um, and I have forgotten what I was going to say. What was I going to say? <laughs> That's the thing that did the damage. The That's the thing that did the damage. It, yes. Um, so I was going up to uh, it happened on a Wednesday and I was going up to Edinburgh on the Monday. Mm. So it didn't happen. I've been pondering whether it should happen. Maybe. Eventually. Because mm. I always feel very guilty about the people who had bought tickets and Yes. I, I meet people who say, I, I had a ticket for your show in that's. I had a ticket for your show in <laughs> <Did> you? <laughs> Anyway, how would you like to start? Have we started? Sort of,
0: yes. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's that thing of just, I don't mind drifting in. I mean, all we're going to do is for you to think of things that you treasure from your life. Five things that can you... Can I need. drink my tea? Yes, you can drink your tea. Yeah. There's uh, atmosphere, the drilling's still going on, but
1: uh, I'm sure it'll stop at some point. Well, they should have stopped by... An, uh, there we are. <laughs> uh, I may have to ring them. OK. Uh, shall I ring them now? Let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. The great thing
0: is, before these things start, I can say, we're Richard's flat and somebody was fixing the stairs. <laughs> uh, and then once people know what it is, these things become less intrusive. So,
1: yes, so we'll just work through it and you can think of things anytime time you want. Yeah. Well, the first thing I thought about because I I can make them impossible because you couldn't possibly get all the plays I've directed into oh you know, I don't know, into, but it would be wonderful to have all the plays I've directed in a box so I could go back because mm. I I don't remember a lot about them. Uh, I never meant to be a director. I always wanted just to be a a jobbing actor. I had no idea that I would become famous, of course, or anything like that. But I, I started directing at RADA because at RADA in your last year, students had to do a, a mime play. And I was very good at mime because I didn't have to speak. <laughs> and uh, when I was in RADA, my accent was Scottish, broad Scottish. So I directed the mime play and rather enjoyed it. And I thought, oh, that's, that's rather interesting. And then when I went to the theatre in Manchester... The one at Granada had. Uh, oh, right, yes. When I started there, I was directing the uh, late shows, helping to organise the lake shows, uh, the lake shows mm. for Gordon McDougall. Then I found a new play by uh, somebody at the City Lit, where I, I used to go as an amateur... And I said to God Duker, well, I'll put that into the late shows. Who would direct that? And he said, well, why don't you direct it? Mm-hmm. So I can remember being absolutely thrilled for about five seconds, <laughs> and then, then realising what a nightmare. But that's what started me, and, and, and I always wanted to act and direct. It would be wonderful if I could sit down sometime, and
0: or, be reminded, would you be reminded of mistakes, do you think? You'd look at it and go, oh no, why did I do that?
1: <laughs> well, I, I'd be surprised by some of them, especially the early ones. I think, well, that's terrible. <laughs> because I'm sure it was pretty terrible. There was quite a famous actor in it who was at the, because the stables was a theatre company. The idea was it was going to do plays in the theatre at the stables, mm-hmm. which uh, Granada built. And have a theatre company as well. So it was television and theatre. So Gordon McDougall's idea was quite clever. So my first play, I, I remember when it finished, I was just thrilled that it started and had finished. I wasn't worried at all about whether it was any good or not. <laughs> reviews. Reviews, and it didn't matter. So it would be wonderful to be able to To look at all these things.
0: I'm sure we can do that. We can put them all together. But what sort of director are you? I've never worked with you as a director. Uh, uh, I'm a very good director. Very good director. Of course. That's a good way of describing it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Obviously. But I mean, some directors are very organised in as much as they know exactly what they want to put on before they even start rehearsing. So are you one of those? I have no idea. I have no
1: idea. No. The actors do everything. Uh, And that's, you know, that's what I think it should be. So that when I'm interviewing actors and I ask them to read for me, Mm. I say, when you read for me, I don't want you to act. I just want you to say the lines and I'll just get an idea of what you sound like. Mm. And then I also realized as an actor, I was always shocked when we used to come to the, the rehearsal room, read the play and then, Shall we, shall we block out one then? And I used to think, well, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. So I always sat down with the player. I think I'll have to ring them. Keep going. <laughs> uh, so I sit down for a half, half the rehearsal. I sit. No, I've got to ring them. OK, go on. You ring them, it'll be all right.
0: So, after ten minutes and a top-up of tea and a quick call to Paul, the concierge, we continued. You came all the way from Dunbridge Wells. and It's all right. We'll carry on. So, The Stables, did you think that was going to be a sort of aberration? Or did you then fall in love with it and think, actually, this is what I want to do almost as much as acting?
1: Well, I did enjoy it very much. And I suppose when I picked this play for my first play... I thought I'd just do that and that would be it. And then uh, I told Gordon McDougall I I wouldn't mind directing again. Mm. And and so I started directing for him there. Um, I did another play for him. Mm. Uh, We were going to do it as a late show. And then something happened about another play he was going to do. And he said, why don't we do this? And I said, I'd like to put this into the main house. Mm. So we did. Um, the thing about the stables was they had money from Granada because it was their theatre so they could, they could give us money to commission people which yes. I'd never had it before.
0: It's an extraordinary idea,
1: isn't it? A television company backing a local theatre company. Yeah.
0: But not a bad idea.
1: No, a good idea. And it started, and it, I mean, we did some television plays but then uh, Granada had a strike. And when it finished, they chucked us. So my idea then was that I would direct a play and then I'd act in a play. And I just, in those days, you could keep it divided. Mm. You couldn't do it now. And so that was how it went. And you think to yourself, well, this is quite a nice life. I
0: enjoy directing. I enjoy acting. I'll do this and then I'll do the other one. And occasionally I'll direct myself.
1: I, I would never direct myself uh-huh. in a play. Right. I came to that decision and I kept it. I never directed myself. Mm. <laughs> I don't understand I don't understand directors who do. I could never do it.
0: So do you enjoy giving yourself over to a director then when you're being
1: directed? Yes. It doesn't worry me at all that, I mean, I have once by a director saying, Could you advise me on this? I said no, no. I'm, I, I'm in it, but I I, I love doing it. And and then I started this idea that we would all sit down with the play for a long time, mm-hmm. and we'd talk about it. And we'd. I remember the first time I met uh, Alan Rickman. I didn't know him then, uh, and the, the first time I asked him, I, I, you know, I said the usual thing, I don't want any act, I just want to open and just want to hear you say the lines. And I knew within five seconds I was going to employ him. He was mm. just pff, wonderful and so open. The word I used a lot in directing was openness. I wanted people to not to act and just to do it and mm. to be involved about who they thought they were. So Alan was in the first play I directed in London at the Bush, as it was then, by Dusty Hughes. And he was just, he was wonderful.
0: When I was at the RSC, it was when he died, and Nicola Prevo did a speech after the play, and we got the most extraordinary standing ovation oh, for him. Yeah, It was really moving.
1: Yeah, Beautiful. yeah, yeah. It was Alan who got me into... Uh, he rang me up one day and said, there's this German company coming to Sadler's Wells. It's called the Dance Theatre of Wuppertal. Do you want to come and see it? And I said, yes. And that was when he introduced me to Pina Bausch, the great Pina Bausch. And I suppose that's another thing I would quite like to have kept somewhere for me is Vin uh, Wenders directed a film about Pina and um, it's called Pina, and it's over there. Uh, oh, yeah. Because I've been showing it to someone. <laughs> and I got to know uh, Pina so well at Sadler's Wells that I joined the Pina Bausch Society and eventually joined Sadler's Wells. And I, I remember sitting watching, uh, I can't remember the date, 1970 or something, 76 or something. Mm. And as soon as I saw this company start, I knew I was in the grips of a genius. Uh, did you ever see Pina Bausch? No oh, Pina Bausch all over Europe, she was very well known, mm. and she always came to Sadler's wells mm. and uh, would go to Edinburgh to the festival and she was just it was it was mod it wasn't ballet ballet. I went to see ballet when I was in London at first, and it just didn't work. So, when I saw this, so it was funny and it was charming and it was just wonderful.
0: So, those techniques, all those, what well, I suppose at the time were experimental techniques, you applied those to your own directing, reading a play and then reading it again and then talking about it and talking your way through it. Yeah. It's almost universally done
1: now. It is. It is. There were other people doing it, which I didn't, I, I had never done it as an actor. But I thought, this is, this makes sense. Yeah, because um, we
0: were, in a way, led by the rep system, which is, we haven't got time to do that. Yeah, Get up and block it.
1: Yeah, block yeah. it. That's right. And then we'd have lunch and say, we'll block Act Two this afternoon. <laughs>
0: okay, and then we'll go for a run through it. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, because then halfway through the run of a play, you think, oh, this is completely wrong, this decision I made on day two.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I remember when I was at the Citizens in Glasgow as one of my first theatre jobs, this actress—I can't remember her name—and she's dead now, anyway. Like many, many of them, hmm. uh, when she did the read-through, she was marvelous. <laughs> she acted as socks off, and I thought, "Oh, I'm on after her. i can't, I can't do that." <laughs> uh, and then I thought, "Well, no, well that's, shes not doing anything." with anyone else because she hasn't prepared with a fellow actors that's what started me stopping it and not allowing any acting in the early stages because they didn't know who they were
0: or what they were going to get from
1: another actor or what they were going to get from another actor who was playing their part and trying to find out who they were mm. yeah so that was that became very important that we we just sat down. Sometimes we'd play games just to stretch us. I used to play games with um, beanbags. We used to stand in a circle and throw beanbags to each other. And three beanbags, mm. going, all, going all the time, um, just calling someone's name. Yeah, yes,
0: very good fun. It, very it's good also fun. It, you get really skillful at it if you do it enough. You do, but then you find that it does affect the acting. It really does. You you are able to listen and.
1: Be involved in several things at once. Yeah. And then I started putting a stopwatch on it to see if you could keep it going. <laughs> and I remember once when I was doing a play in Hampstead, mm. they rang up and said, listen, Richard, you'll have to stop them doing this beanbagging before the show <laughs> <laughs> because they're taking too long. <laughs> and the they, actors loved it. It was great yeah. fun.
0: Yeah. I've done plays where we would go through and we would name the scenes. So we would take them, as it were, away from being Act 2, Scene 4. We would name the scene to make us think of what that scene was about. No, I didn't do that. Max Stafford-Clark did that. Yeah. But the problem with me is my comic brain it always kicks in at those moments. We had to name a scene where the Duke of Marlborough's, his young son Jack, was carried across the stage by pallbearers. And they said, anybody got any suggestions for that name? And I said, "Uh, Jack in a Box. (laughs) (laughs) I was told I wasn't allowed to make suggestions. No more suggestions for you, Michael. Did you direct? No, I've never directed,
1: no. Could you be a good director?
0: Well, I wonder if I would. I don't know. I don't think you can tell until you do it whether I would be too keen to... whether I would think I was right too often. I don't like directors
1: who do that, but oh, I, I know. wonder if I would be guilty of it. I know. Quite a lot of directors who had been actors would do it for you. Say, no, no. And I always said to the actors I was working with, I will never give you a line reading. So I, we'd always talk our way through it. And, mm-hmm. and then now and again, I would say, look, I'm terribly sorry, but can I just give you a, 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 a suppressed line reading? <laughs> so roughly what it's about. I never never did that. Uh, We had to find it together. Uh, Mm. It was very important.
0: Well, of course, as well, quite often, what you think would be the reading of something can turn out to be completely wrong, or neither are right. One is as good as another.
1: And also, it could change as you get better at it. Mm. I mean, I I always used to say, uh, if you said to me, I saw your production last week, Richard, very good at something i said well which night were you there Uh, because i used to see it quite a lot i mean that's another thing that i did i went to the theater almost every night to watch Mm. and and make notes
0: Uh, yes
1: you don't want to shout at your actors you you want to just say look that wasn't as good as two days ago i can understand
0: why you did it but yeah
1: yes yeah so would you say that acting was the main thing that you've done? You'd always describe yourself as an actor who has directed. I always describe myself as an actor-director. Mm-hmm. And when I did Desert Island as I said to you, uh, and they didn't concentrate on my directing more, I couldn't do anything about it. And uh, That, to me, is my uh, more important part of my work, was directing. I thought I was a better director than I was an actor. And I was really upset that they had not mentioned that I'd been an associate director at the court and in Sheffield and that was very important to me so I, I directed a lot of um, w- when I was in Sheffield as an associate director Sheffield is where they did snooker and I said to the artistic director I said it would be a very good idea to do a snooker play sometime <laughs> and he said well Organiser, And I spoke to him, uh, oh, what's his name? Oh, what's the name of the writer who did the play at the National about the comedian? Oh, yes. Um, oh, uh, God. Oh, for God's sake, Richard, I'm exactly the same as you. I'm <laughs>
0: terrible. With it. did two of us sitting here with no ability to conjure up a name. And nowadays I can't do it without Googling.
1: I um, know. So anyway, I said to him, I, I met him at a, at a wedding, And he said, when are we going to work together again? I said, well, it's up to you. He had become quite famous by then. And I said, I'm looking for someone to direct a play about snooker for Sheffield. And the the pause, I I could do that. (laughs) I would be interested in a snooker play. And so we had a snooker play.
0: Fabulous. It's a great theatre, isn't it?
1: It's a great theatre, yeah. And it was the first time, in the time I was there, with Daniel Evans, that we had a new play in the big theatre. We always did new plays in the studio theatres. The Nap, it was called. Mm. I uh,
0: always find that the people in the theatre next door, which is sort of the touring theatre, oh, yeah. they're always really envious of the people in the Crucible. <laughs> yes. And the people in the Crucible are envious of the touring
1: people because yeah. they're being paid a lot of money. They're being paid more <laughs> money, uh-huh. yes, indeed. <laughs> so that was... Uh, very important to me that that Sheffield knew I was talking about them mm. uh, because they meant a lot to me. Mm. And, and so did the, my
0: time at the Royal Court. I mean, that's an extraordinary thing to do. The Royal Court has been such an innovative theatre for many, many years. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing to be asked to direct there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, I remember the first play I directed there. Uh, I was absolutely cock-a-hoop. And terrified, I should think. And terrified, mm. yeah when i went to london i always thought that the royal court was a theater i wanted to go to i didn't want to go to the royal shakespeare company mm. and watch a play but going to the royal court left wing new writing that's what i wanted and it was wonderful and then max Stafford clark was producing then and I, I i had met max in edinburgh and so i started directing there which was wonderful mm.
0: Well, I tell you what, I shall get together all your plays. <laughs> do you, well, do you know that uh, the great thing is that nearly all plays, at some point, i will say to you, oh, we're videoing the play tonight, or oh, we're filming the play tonight, don't they? In almost every theatre they do that, for our records. So I think somewhere... There must be a record of all these plays. Right,
1: I'll let you say that, Michael, but probably not. But <laughs> there will be some, certainly. <laughs> well, there will be some.
0: I'll have a go. I'll put them all together and then if you ever want to, you can take them out of the time capsule <laughs> and spend
1: months looking through them. So in the time capsule, where do you get to look at it?
0: Well, I'm going to give it to you. So you can either bury it or put it under your bed. Oh, I see. You give me the collection. It's your time capsule, so you've got and I can it. do
1: what I want with it. Yes,
0: you can put it away for posterity.
1: I mean, I the idea know. of, you know, Desert Island, the idea of going to Desert Island just appalls me. <laughs> of course. <laughs> this is the one where we're more generous. You can have them.
0: Right, we're going to pause here for the compulsory ad break, but we'll be back before you know it. See you in a minute. Right, we're back before you even knew it. So let's find out what else Richard Wilson would like to keep safe in his time capsule and, of course, what he'd
1: like to bury and forget. One of the other things I wanted was, which is a bit similar, but I get so many photographs on my computer now over the years that I would rather like a big album of photographs of my entire life. (laughs) because I've got some pictures of me as a child I was a fair-haired boy with lots of hair and I became bald very young so unfair It <laughs> used to look okay. just about hanging on in there yeah. and it would be nice it's a bit similar but it would be nice to have a big 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 thick starting with photographs of me as a baby and I never saw me as a baby but I saw me as a young blonde boy with my sister right so these photographs of you as a baby you don't have them they don't exist some of them do very few though and all the all the photographs I have in my computer they go back sort of 20 years now some of them yeah I never look at them <laughs> so it would be nice to have an official book of what happened
0: you can put that on your lap and you can slowly browse it can't you yeah I mean, I might not like them, (laughs) and I I might not look at them. Well, it's funny that you choose, in a way, photographs of yourself, that you want them in there.
1: Has anyone else ever chosen photographs of themselves? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I shouldn't have done it.
0: (laughs) It's fine. Amongst those, of course, will be all those people from each time around you. So it'll be you in family groups, it'll be you at... Weddings, it'll be you. Yes, and then then you of go, "Oh, look, there's Uncle Jim! I forgot all about him." <laughs> <laughs> Tell me then, where, as a little baby, you were you were born up in Glasgow, or in Grinock. In Grinock,
1: ah. uh, I'm a Greenockian. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: Grinock was uh, the BBC always called it Grinock, which uh, Grinockians used to get very very angry. Grinock was. Gaelic for the Green Hill. And Greenock was on a a hill like this. So it was always interesting in in being brought up in Greenock. You could cycle into town, but cycling out was a disaster. (laughs) It it took forever to get up that hill. (laughs) And Greenock was uh, the wettest town in Britain. (laughs) And I presume it still is because of the Clyde estuary. But Greenock was... uh, It was a shipbuilding town. My father was a head timekeeper in a shipyard. Mm. Shipyards and sugar. And the amateur theatre was very strong. So is that where you... That's where I started. Yeah, I started acting at school. When you were in the 11 plus, you were picked... We had a gymnasium with a stage on it so that when you were in the 11th (laughs) class, you were asked to stay back and put all the seats out into the gym and then go home for your tea and come back and watch the play and then put all the chairs away at the end. (laughs) So that seemed a very good idea to me, Mm. to get involved. And that's when I started watching plays. And then I had a teacher, Miss McCleary. See, I can remember her. Miss <laughs> um, McCleary did, did a play The Princess and the Pea and I played the king uh, with a pair of Anne Carey's knickers on me uh, <laughs> with, with paper in them to make them look like trousers <laughs> so I can remember strange things
0: it's funny sometimes isn't it how those memories in fact seem closer than things that are just round the corner I know
1: yeah. and know. Uh, so my memory problems always get worse as evening comes in and it gets dark. I, I just, I can't remember names and things. So I was talking about Greenock. Why, mm. why was I talking about Greenock? Well, I sort of asked you where you were born Oh, you, you up. You did. Yes, if you ask questions, that's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> now, I must tell you, but one of the other things I want, of course, is I, I, there are two drinks I want. To to be in my... What would you put them in? What would you put the... Well, we can have a drinks cabinet in there. <laughs> why not? Oh, well, why not? Well, okay. If I can have a drinks cabinet, there are two drinks I want in it. One is water, but it has to be badois. Ah. Badoir is a mineral water, but it's only a slight mineral water. Mm. And I love having it in the fridge and drinking it is just a great joy to me.
0: Is badois it's slightly salty, isn't
1: it? I'm going to give you a one in a minute. Okay. I'm going to give you a badois because my tea has got cold. Uh,
0: yes, at any point. I'm going to get it. Lovely. Okay. And we'll take a pause. Yeah, we'll take a pause. Perfect.
1: Then we, then we can talk about badua. <laughs> oh,
0: dear. Yes, right. So we come back with badois. So this yeah. is badois. Let's she, sample it. it. Cheers. Cheers. Good health. Nice. See, it's cold. Mm.
1: Slightly effervescent. Slightly effervescent. That's the secret. Mm. And I just go crazy about it. Yeah. But, but the, the other th- thing I want to put into the... With the Badois. With the Badois. Yes. Is a puyin mon montrachet Right. Which is a white wine, white burgundy, which also sends me crazy. But of course, it sends me a bit crazier because I'm drinking alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> um, but absolutely lovely. When did you first experience that then? <laughs> I wonder when
0: it was. In it's Birmingham, very expensive. Uh, very expensive. I mm. So I suppose One Foot in the Grave sort of changed your life financially.
1: Of course it did. And um, suddenly these things were open to yeah, you. Suddenly those drinks were possible. So Anthony Sher. And Greg Doran took me to puy en rochet the village. Uh, Tony Cher and I drank quite a lot together. Um, <laughs> I think he drinks more than I do. I don't, I don't mention that though. So they took me for—I think it was my seventieth. They took me out to the village of puy en rochet mm. in France, very close to a very famous hotel. I can't remember the name of it. And. We discussed with the vineyards and how they made pune mont mm-hmm. It's a wonderful, it's just slightly sweet white wine. Mm. So I'd like that in the cabinet. Chilled. Uh, yes, chilled. pune rochet
0: pune mm, Lovely. Um, I think most people go through life and you naturally assume, well, this is the life I'm going to lead. And I'm perfectly happy with it. You know, you were perfectly happy, you'd direct a play, you'd be in a play, you were doing a bit of television, so everything's going along fine, and you think, so well, this is a nice life. Yes, and, absolutely. And suddenly, it becomes, well, mad. Yeah, mm. yeah. I remember being in Italy with you and saying, shall we have a bottle
1: of Prosecco? And you went, no, let's have a bottle of champagne. <laughs> I probably would. Champagne became very important to me. One of the things I said in Desert Island Discs was that alcohol had meant so much to me because I was a very, very shy boy. And it was alcohol that just sort of opened me up a bit and let me speak a bit more. And I would always be grateful. Well, of course, I've got alcohol now in my... You'd stay
0: yeah. You've got a drinks cabinet in your time capsule. It all gets rather complicated. It's chilled.
1: I've got a a drink yes in, in my time. And cap. on
0: top of it is a, a very large photo album of photos from every moment in your life. And then sitting there is a large television screen ready to show you... Or oh, oh, you
1: get a television
0: screen. Well, you've got to watch the plays you've done on something. What's the most expensive thing that someone's taken with them? <laughs> well, I would imagine the United States of America. Of course. <laughs> Craig Ferguson. <laughs>
1: that
0: would cost yes, he did. he
1: did. Didn't he did, <laughs> did
0: <laughs> So, when you say alcohol opened up your character, as it were, well, your daring, you didn't go into acting until you were, what, late 20s? 27. 27. Yes. So what suddenly made you think, OK, well, I'll, I'll go and audition for RADA?
1: Yes, well, I, I, I can tell you why I went to RADA, because I met a, a, an actress at a party, and she said to me, how long have you been in London for, etc.? And that was about four years or something then. And she said, well, do you know that if you've lived in London for a year, you can go to LCC. They will pay for your education. I said, no, I didn't. (laughs) So I only tried for RADA. I didn't try any other academy, but some people do, you know, Mm. try many. Yes. Well, with the idea that you probably won't
0: get into most of them.
1: Yeah. So I just tried for RADA. And I remember that you had to do classical and modern. I chose for my modern piece a bit that a friend had written. We were in a review together. And he had done this monologue. And I chose that. And people said to me, no, 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 you have got to do Chekhov or something like that. And I said, no, I'm going to do Roger Booth. He used to write these reviews. So, well, it went down quite well. I I know they laughed. And that was a a big shock to me that I was getting a laugh (laughs) uh, for this. It was quite a nice little monologue this man talking about his girlfriend who's ditched and I can remember one of the lines even uh, she gave me the ring back in the Beecham's pillbox I <laughs> <laughs> should see the things I can remember, isn't that weird and I can't remember anything about yesterday <laughs> um, so that's what got me into RADA. I, and I remember talking to John Fernald, the principal at the time he said "You know, there was eight people on the panel and uh, they were divided, so I decided to vote for you. So you just squeezed it. <laughs> well, but do you think I'm...
0: they would be relieved? Because I should imagine, of course, over and over again, they must watch. Oh, here we go. This not this monologue
1: again. Of course, mm. that's why I, I was thinking. And um, what did you do as your Shakespeare? Do you remember? I do. It was from Julius Caesar, and it was Mark Antony's speech mm. over the body. I Friends, to... Roman countrymen. Friends, Roman country. That was it. Yeah. Give me your ears. Mm. I don't think I remember much more about that. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you've also played Malvolio, haven't you, in your
1: career? In my career. i played Malvolio at the Royal Shakespeare Company. Did you? Yeah. And um, I hated it. <laughs> I didn't hate it. But by that time I was quite well known. So I knew that The reason I was in this show was because I was quite well-known and Mm. then people would come maybe to see Richard Wilson doing Malvolio. Mm. And that's
0: what frightened me. Right. Rather than coming, seeing the play and discovering this brilliant comic actor. Yes. (laughs) Who is that man? (laughs) Why is he not on the television? I know. I know. Well, it's true. There is a certain wonder in going out on stage. If you're confident in what you're doing as a performance, but you also know that people won't know who you are. All what you're going to do. It's a real thrill, I think, to be able to walk on stage and think, you just wait. You wait and see what I'm going to do.
1: Yes, yes. I never wanted to be well known. I just wanted to work. I mm. just wanted to do jobs. Um, and when one foot in the grave, Susie Belvin, the producer, she always said, it's going to get much better, just you wait. And of course she was right. Mm. And, they became very well-known.
0: But David also, David Renwick also wrote, what was the thing you did before?
1: David Renwick, it was the first thing that David Renwick had written by himself, because mm. he had another writer he used to write with, I can't remember his name. Oh, my God, here we go again. <laughs> and so when David took over, he, he had his own trauma. Uh, this is me and my own now. Mm. I mean, he, was a, he was a wonderful writer, he still is a wonderful writer. Mm. And he's now planning to bring Victor into the theatre, but played by, not by an old 85 year old. So you're looking with someone who's just retirement age? I think I know who he's thinking of, but I'm not allowed to say. Not that. me, is it? <laughs> Sorry, Michael. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you don't look any older. You've kept your youth. <laughs> you have. You must have been told that before. I've not been told it by my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but when was it we saw each other a lot? Oh, you said. Yes, in Edinburgh, I think. So it's quite a while, five years ago. It's five years ago, yeah. I know. I yes. had my heart attack almost five years ago. Yes. It's extraordinary how time goes by. I know. It's ridiculous. I know.
0: Still, so we've had fun together.
1: Absolutely.
0: I have a very fond memory of a car that I sadly don't have anymore, but I had a little blue Mazda MX-5, and we were staying in Italy, and everybody else had gone off to town, I think, and we stayed at the house, and then I gave you a lift through the Italian hills with the top down, and we drove... It was a two-seater? Just a little two-seater. Yes. It was a gorgeous day, (laughs) and then we sat and had the most fantastic lunch. So... Those are things that you cling to during lockdown, aren't they? Those. Killers. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's three things we've got into the time capsule.
1: Well, the thing I want to leave out, we'll do that first. Yes. The thing I'd like to get rid of is my walking stick. Ah. Huh? Because I do need it now quite a lot. So if there was some way they got rid of it, then I might, See, yeah, I don't use a walking stick in a house, for example. No. But if I was going into the park, I'd be on my stick. And I find that, well, I find it very valuable, but I also hate it. It's always falling down wherever I put it. And then I've got to bend down and pick it up. <laughs> it, it's I'm no good at. That's uh, something that's gone. But you do still go into the park? I go into the park every day, mm. but I don't walk as far as I used to. that's the thing, yes, which is is bad now there was something else i uh, what was it? My memory's going. you see, I should have written all this down <laughs> and i and I was going to write something down but, but I slept in <laughs> We could always put in our inability...
0: I'll chuck mine in with you. The inability to remember people's names. (laughs) Oh, yes.
1: Names. Actors' names. Uh, When you're talking about films, for example, I've watched so many films, and I want to tell someone about a film. In fact, it's one thing I want to talk to you about a film I've just seen. I can't... Hopeless. (laughs) Hopeless. There was one evening I woke up in bed... And I thought, oh, of course, there's quite a few things I remember, so that that's going to be easy. But, uh, of course, they've gone. <laughs> uh, well, the other thing I was going to do was listen to some of your... I'd only listened to one. I can't remember who that was. <laughs> and I thought, I must listen to more of them. It's quite a good company, I think. The whole
0: podcast world is quite interesting. I have only really become involved in it since I started doing this. Are you a known podcaster now? I mean... Yes. I get asked to do interviews with people talking about my podcast.
1: Like One Foot in the Podcast. Exactly. Yes. He was thrilled that I had had agreed to talk to him.
0: Well, Uh, I should imagine, so if you're going to do a podcast where you're talking about your favourite television programme and it is One Foot in the Grave, the person you'd most want to talk to would be... Victor Melcher. Yes. Absolutely. I know, and... I'm glad you did say yes to that man, because he's um, he's very sweet. Oh, he's a absolutely. Charming, and he's very passionate about
1: it. The only th- thing was that upset me uh, slightly was that before he did One Foot in the Grave, he did the other very famous sitcom, A Little Van uh, Oh, Only Fools and Horses. Uh, only Fools and Horses. He said, when I did Fools and Horses, I thought, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> What surprises me about you doing it is that I know
0: how hard it's been to have that one little thing in your life. Well, not a little thing, but that one thing that yeah. i dominate it. Because you are quite a private person. The idea that it makes other people feel that in a way that they own you, that they have the right at any time to just shout at you in the street. I, or, I know. Or come up to you and just say, can I take a picture with you? And you go, well, I'm just walking through the park, actually. Oh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you go out of your way to avoid it.
1: Yes, um, i tell you what I could take with me mm. I've remembered something I could take a, a wig and a disguise <laughs> for getting me out uh, because I, we- I wear a baseball cap uh, in public because then I get hidden and I, for- I forget when the weather gets good and I don't wear my baseball cap of course people say I don't believe it and mm. uh, it's not so much now so if someone says to me, I don't believe it, in the park, it doesn't worry me. I just wave mm-hmm. and, and walk on. So I could ask for, a, uh, would I need one, though, if I'm dead?
0: <laughs> well, I'm not sure you're going to be dead. No. <laughs> oh, I see. No, no, this is... Uh, oh, you have the... It's there for your use during your life. You can have it any time. Ah, I see. So you can, yeah, you can open it any you want. Yes. So there are those things that you find precious
1: and that you want in your life. Oh, well, it? I think a wig. I've never worn a wig in my life apart from in the theatre. <laughs> uh, I, I, well, that's I, an
0: interesting thing, isn't it, that actually of the things you can choose, you're choosing, in a way, anonymity.
1: Anonymity. That's mm. it. That's very good, Mike. You've made it sound much more serious. <laughs> i I'd tell you what I'd like to take with me is anonymity. Mm. There you are. I've said it now. Yes. Um, I remember saying in... Uh, Island that uh, I didn't own a car until I was 40, because I thought actors shouldn't drive cars. Mm-hmm. They should be in the underground or on the bus looking at people. And I really believed that. <laughs> I wanted to be in touch with society. It sounds a bit falutin, but uh, <laughs> it, it was true. Well, that again, it's that thing
0: that you said earlier is that I never particularly wanted to be famous or in fact imagined you would become famous. So it's not so much you you didn't imagine you would become famous, it's that you
1: weren't interested in it at all. That's right. I think I remember thinking about this because I've been watching Wimbledon a lot. I'm very into the tennis, mainly the men, but don't don't say that. Uh, (laughs) Because when you first knew me, I, I wasn't out as gay. And, of course, I am now because yeah. I was outed, uh, which was a great relief to me.
0: Oh, uh, was it? Yes. Oh, I always thought that, actually, it may have been slightly annoying but you were relieved by it.
1: Oh, yes. Mm. Yes, I thought, I wondered if my sister, which is silly, because my sister died recently. Oh. At 91. She did very well. Yeah. And I thought, I don't want to come out because it would really upset him. I've, I've got a nephew who's who's coming uh, today from Greenock, who's 57. <laughs> I've got two nephews, uh, and his brother's coming as well. So he's coming today, and he's 57 now. Mm. And I still think of him as a, as a little boy, because <laughs> I used to go up to Greenock and take them both up the hill. Yeah. And I told I told his brother that I was gay before his mother knew, mm. uh, because I thought you know if I pop it, he should uh, be able to pass it on, carry on. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing I was going to ask for, mm. I remember now, was a ticket to the royal box at Wimbledon. <laughs> Because I, when one foot in the grave was famous, mm. the BBC used to invite me to Wimbledon, and then I also had a friend who got me tickets, but I never got a ticket to the Royal Box.
0: No, really.
1: Yes, yeah, very naughty. Well, in that case, because I can do anything,
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll move one of the Royals out of the way. You yes, can sit, you can sit in the prime seat right
1: at the front there, the front row. Oh yes, that would be good because and, I, um,
0: and if I can basically get
1: Federer to play Nadal every day. Would that do you? I'd like to see some of the younger men, if you right. don't mind. OK. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I think we should put that into the Time capsule. A seat in the Royal Box of Wimbledon. It's been lovely to talk to you.
1: Well, my Maybe. pleasure. You now know what Badois is. Have, uh, you, have you tasted it before?
0: I, I have tasted it before, but, <laughs> but I for, I'd forgotten how lovely it is. But all I'm saying now is that perhaps we should try the other one. We need more Russian? <laughs> I'm going to borrow the French? <laughs> Lovely. Right, that's what we'll do. <laughs> that's the rest of the day gone by. <laughs> Obviously, I can't finish without saying, I don't believe I paid you back the money I owe you.
1: <laughs> um, that's a good one. <laughs> How much was it? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Neither can I.
0: You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens and my guest, Richard Wilson, OBE. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to this podcast on the provider of your choice. We make this through ACAST, so obviously we'd recommend them, but it's up to you. We're available through most of them. We'd really appreciate it if you would click on five stars to rate the show and maybe even write a small review. You see, the visibility of a podcast increases with each recommendation, so thank you if you take the trouble to do that. The theme tune was written by Pass the Peas Music and is available in full on Spotify. This was a cast-off production. Production, produced by John Fenton Stevens. Finally, you can follow me or my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Feel free to tweet or message us any time. We're happy to talk. Oh, and before I go, um, the writer of Comedians, the play, which I think is what Richard was talking about, was Trevor Griffiths, although I'm not sure if you wrote a play about snooker, and David Renwick wrote with Andrew Marshall for many years on such shows as The Burkis Way on the radio and the TV sitcom with Robert Hardy, Jeffrey Palmer, John Gordon Sinclair, and Richard Hot Metal. You see, when I have access to Google, I have got a great, um, a great, um, hang on, i just look it up. Oh, memory, yeah. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.